0: Amen. Colossians chapter 3. Now, when you land in a new place, you live a new life, right? Well, that's the message of Colossians, isn't it, that we've been focused on. New life, where? Well, we saw it last week, didn't we? In Christ. And new life in Christ means a new destination. And that means as radical a relocation as that from death to life new life, new location. Now, last time we saw that in this new destination, there's no need for all the old clothes, even if they're being peddled to us from right, left, and center. Do you know what the Bible's appealing to you and me to do? It's saying leave behind certain things, a place of origin, as you step off into that new destination in Christ, life in Christ. Now, here's something I didn't leave behind this year as I stepped off the plane on holidays. What did I not leave behind? Well, I left my shoes, my coat, and my jeans at home. But when we landed, I looked around, and there was my family. I didn't leave them behind. And actually, that was a good thing. Um, We enjoyed that time together. So I didn't leave my family at place of origin. brought them with me. But you know, perhaps the Colossians believed that life as a Christian meant some kind of departure from the existing social relationships they had. Maybe they thought that as a Christian they were jetting off to a new destination without the family, that a new identity in Christ meant the old social ties, well, could be jettisoned or at best relegated as not so important anymore. But Paul sets out here that no, Instead, he says, relationships in the family and beyond it are to be transformed. Christ is your life. Christ is your Lord. And yet those relationships, don't leave them behind, but they're to be transformed. Do you know what that means? It means that household behavior takes into account something that's mentioned seven times in these nine verses, seven times. It must be important. What is it that's mentioned again and again and again here? Have a look at the verses Ethan read. Well, it's the lordship of Christ. Christ is the master, the Lord in charge. He's the one we serve. That's, you see, how this list of instructions is framed here. Christ is Lord. So, I want you to imagine something for a moment. I want you to imagine you you get your phone out and you start to record yourself on a video. Switch the camera around so that it's facing you at this point, and I want you to record a video. Now, for three minutes, you're gonna talk about the relationships you have with your family, the people closest to you, apart from your friends, maybe a husband, wife, parents, children. You might include some details about the attitude you have to those you work with towards your boss or your employees if you're the boss. Okay, you've recorded that video. Now listen back to it. Now don't post it. Just listen. And listen to that honest description as you've described those relationships with those people around you. How do you treat them? How are they treating you? Do you have any sense from that video of the reality that Christ is your Lord now. Well, however that video experiment turned out in your mind, let me invite you, as the Bible does, to adopt this basis, Christ is your Lord, for your household relationships. And like we saw a little bit earlier in chapter 3, it's, it's a new mindset, isn't it, that matches new life in Christ. And this Lordship of Christ will now be over everything, And it's captured so profoundly here in one little phrase at the end of verse 24 of chapter 3. Have a look at it. Just at the end of chapter 24. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's the overlay for every interaction with your family from now on, the Bible says. You are serving the Lord Christ. And you see, we're going to see here, and we've, we've heard them already, some very specific and profound instructions right here. And each one is made with that overlay in place. You are serving the Lord Christ. And I know for certain that that's the sincere heart cry of the people of this room. We're serving the Lord Christ. So then having that heart cry, you'll know that profoundly it changes how I'm going to deal with the instructions that are now going to be coming before us from verse 18 onwards. Well, here's the first one. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, verse 18. Whoa, submission. Submission is viewed with such suspicion and even anger by people these days. Surely the Bible needs updating or smoothing out here some people insist. Yet, notice firstly that overlay that we've just been talking about. Look at the end of verse 18 here. As is fitting in the Lord, end of verse 18. In other words, wives, in undertaking this kind of submission, you're serving the Lord Christ. Something that is described as fitting as you serve Christ. So, submission, far from a call for a demeaning status or poor treatment of women, there's something important, and that's that submission is fitting. It's bound up with a transformative new life with Christ as Lord. How ah, you'll say, what exactly is submission that's being instructed here? Now, interestingly, the word submit is used 38 times in the New Testament, submit. 23, so just over half of the times it's used, it's by Paul in his letters. Now, one of the commentators, Moo, points out that one of the interesting things about the New Testament usage of the word submit is how often it has to do with calling people to put themselves voluntarily under the authority of someone or something else. Isn't that interesting? So, submission is often in the Bible about people putting themselves voluntarily under someone or something else. So, believers put themselves under God, even though He's sovereign, He's over. The church is under Christ. People put themselves under governing authorities, Christians under their leaders. And so, the instruction here in Colossians, calling wives to submit to your husband's Well, it's a call to wives to voluntarily, if you like, put herself under her husband's overall leadership. And in so doing, to live out an order, a a harmony established by God Himself. Now, even if, if sadly, marriage relationships, very often in our society, they've been a venue for a terrible twisting of that order. You don't have to go very far to find that out or to see it displayed. Even if there's twisting that's gone on, you see the powerful, profound, even biblical call for wives to submit to their husbands, as is fitting in the Lord, it calls for something far removed from power or domination or reckless disorder. In other words, here's a way to live your lives and your families that will reflect and nurture the kind of good order that new life in Christ has established, the kind of regime that we stepped off the plane into in Christ, well, that regime is upheld and nurtured by this kind of submission. Here's something important. You see this instruction in verse 18? It's, it's not there all by itself, is it? It's followed immediately by verse 19. Have a look at it. It comes Without abridgment, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Don't you see that submission is being called for in marriage where husbands are at the very same time demanded to love their wives? Submission, if you like, can be offered freely in a relationship free of harshness. No excessive domineering. This is a, will be a relationship with Christians where there is a deliberate and sacrificial love being consistently offered. And so very simply, Paul's saying to Christians how to treat each other in marriage, that deepest human commitment. He says, with respect and love and submission. And this submission and love, that's going to bring household harmony. Stepping into your home, you see, won't have the, the sense, and maybe you've felt this stepping into homes a kind of ceasefire, or being on no man's land, but rather there'll be a wonderful sense of everything being at peace, an order established, powerful harmony reflecting a good order that God has given us. So, let's repeat that instruction, though, secondly, for husbands. Husbands, love your wives, the Bible says, and do not be harsh with them. I think it's so interesting that despite there being lots of these household codes, as they're called, this list of instructions. You can find this in the ancient literature. Um, Lots of Greek and, and Jewish sources have an example of this kind of household table or household instruction. But nowhere else, apart from the Bible, are husbands demanded to love their wives. Revolutionary. Love your wives. And the word for love, you see, It's probably significant because that word is about sacrifice, about self giving love. There's a very familiar set of instructions you probably know about in Ephesians 5 at the end of that chapter as well. And in those, Paul compared this love that husbands are are commanded to have for their wives, Paul compares it with Christ's love for the church, sacrificial Christ's love for the church, self giving love for the church. He went to the cross. And so then powerfully, as, as Paul tells the Colossian women and the men to submit and love in marriage, as all as part of serving the Lord Christ, he's drawing attention to the ultimate demonstration of love. I think that's really profound. Submit and love one another. And think about Christ, that word love. So these instructions aren't just do's and don'ts. God's Word, you see, is pointing us to Jesus Christ and that sacrificial, self-giving, loving journey to Calvary. I think sometimes if only we could think of this set of instructions without the grime of the war of the sexes, without the abuses of the past, even the situations of the present, without the anger and cynicism, if only we could see this for how we're meant to see it, And instead, at the same time as affirming that we serve the Lord Christ, if we could picture Christ on the road to the cross, you see, that's the overlay, remember? That'll transform homes and relationships. It's in God's Word. Serving the one who came to give his life as a ransom for many. And I don't know your plans. Maybe you're planning to get married soon maybe you are married either a couple of months or years or decades. Will husbands love your wives? That has to, doesn't it, by the very nature of what's written here? Loving wives has to include submission to her needs often, and that'll practically demonstrate both to you and your family and everyone else the sheer power of the gospel. Doug Moo, who I mentioned earlier, the commentator. He makes a really interesting observation on that demand that husbands love their wives. Do you know what he says? Um, Well, he points again to Ephesians 5, where not just love your wives, but as Christ loved the church. And then Doug Moose says that if you take that with the amazing oneness that Christians have, that equality, um, look back to verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised. There's a freedom. Christ is in all. And there's a a oneness. And taking that with these instructions, here's that word, it sets a trajectory that leads to a more equal sharing of every dimension of the marriage relationship. You see, what the Bible's setting out here is a vision that brings men and women together in this beautiful equality, even as roles are given even as instructions are different. In other words, the Bible's remarkable call, and you can see it's so remarkable here, to husbands to love their wives. It brings marriages not into some old-fashioned territory of harsh patriarchy, but to a really remarkable new place. Christian husbands, that's the biblical mandate. You are serving the Lord Christ. Love your wives. Children, I know you're waiting patiently. Well, there is a very simple but challenging call in verse 20. Have a look at it. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord, verse 20. Uh, Isn't it striking? And this is what stands out here if you compare this. Children are being addressed as responsible people within the church. Children, you can listen to a command like this. And so, children and young people, that's for you. The Bible recognizes and speaks to you as a capable person, someone capable of being giving such important instructions. And, and there are at least two things here for you children. You've probably noticed them. And presumably, this is children of all ages living within the household, living with their parents specifically. So, children, young people, obey. That's the first thing. Obedience is the word here. Do what your parents ask you to do. Obedience, you know, isn't a negative word, but it's truly powerful. Obedience, children, will change your life. It'll change your relationships. It'll deepen and mature your relationship with your mom and dad. Well, that's the first thing, obedience. Well, did you notice the second thing? Obey your parents in everything. That's pretty striking, isn't it? In everything, in everything. Not just the things that you want to obey or choose to obey, but in everything. And that, you see, here's the thing about that. That means a decision now, right now. If you're going to obey in everything, you really need to decide to do that before your parents ask you to do it. Decision time, children, young people. And remember that overlay, the thing that is repeated again and again here. You see, Christ is Lord, And so even your obedience in everything pleases the Lord. Paul includes that here. You see, children, if you are putting your trust in Jesus, be the ones who sincerely and wholeheartedly obey your parents. Young people, I want you to see how this kind of obedience will radically change your home. And I know you've got friends where their home life is very different, perhaps, than yours maybe better, maybe worse. But if you can get this and do it, it'll bring you a wonderful sense of fulfilled joy. It'll mean your home will have a kind of steady order that'll even stand out to your friends. It'll help you as you grow up to learn to live with the kind of harmony and new life that Christ brings. So the Bible isn't killing your fun here. It's giving you life. And of course, children, you'll have noticed that there are the other people in this scenario, your mom and dad. Look how the Bible speaks to them, verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I saw a video where children were provoked by dad jokes to the point of feeling absolutely disgusted. But that's not, I think, what Paul's talking about. The dad jokes are okay. Um, You can correct me if you think that's a, a misreading of the text, So dad jokes stand, right? But what does provocation mean? And fathers are addressed specifically, but there is a sense that can definitely mean both parents, mom and dad. Well, what does the instruction mean? Well, there's a kind of provocation, not dad jokes, but provocation that comes with a position of authority. Anyone with authority can exercise that authority with carelessness in a manner that's insensitive, and so there's a call here from the Bible for fathers, moms. Recognize that if your children are to obey you as they've been instructed, you need to ensure you're not carelessly provoking them, lest they become discouraged. So, fathers, that's for you and moms too. Don't provoke your children. Now, the next few verses here include a category that was part of ancient society but one that has no place in the world today. I'm not going to spend long here because we don't have time, but here are some thoughts that I've found helpful as, as Paul turns his attention to instruct bond servants or slaves and masters. So what does he say? Here's a few thoughts. You see, there are ways we can rightly apply even this instruction um, to the, the realm of employee and boss or Boss and employee. Yes, there is a way in which we can uh, apply that here with care, of course. But remember, life in Christ has implications as you work with each other and under those in authority. And it's important that we do that work well and recognize that authority that God has established. So that's the first thing I'd say. There are applications to the working world. But secondly, and this is important, Notice that Paul is in no way either directly or indirectly endorsing the institution of slavery. He's not endorsing slavery. In fact, he's addressing slaves, and even by very virtue of addressing these people suggests he was treating them as responsible people who could listen and follow instructions. Even that was radical in its day. So there's no endorsing of slavery going on here. But again, thirdly, There's an overlay. Master and bondservant, well, they have the same Lord Christ, don't they? And that's going to change even that relationship in its day. Something interesting I read, and I'm inclined to agree with it. Something was happening here as Christ changed lives. And perhaps even those who were writing the New Testament had not quite fully worked out how all these scenarios would be affected by the gospel a new life in Christ. Even they were learning, and you could say it took them long enough to learn those lessons, but we can see that there is no place for slavery in the world, but what there is is life under Christ, and so here too, that's the overlay, and it's it's in these verses that we picked it out, isn't it? Look at verse 24. You are serving the Lord Christ. every September without fail, and the teens and youth will back me up here, teachers invite their students in various classes to discuss the rules and come up with a class contract. Isn't that true? That's the way teaching works nowadays. How will our class operate? Particularly if it's a class like SPHE or where there's things up for discussion. Let's have a contract. Let's work out the way we're gonna do things rules and responsibilities for the year ahead. And it's important to set that kind of thing up so that the the class can thrive and work and feel safe. But you know what's happening as Christians? We've landed in a new place where Christ is Lord. And just as he lovingly and sacrificially died for his people, he's giving us instruction now how to live in our families and beyond. And he's inviting us to listen and follow him. So show him your video that you recorded, your relationships with your family, describing those relationships with people at work and your boss, and pray for him to help you as you serve him, the Lord Christ. Because families, you see, with that kind of order and dynamic, that's going to change the lives of us and the people in our families and the future generations We're going to show Christ to a broken and warring society. So let's take that overlay right now and not just put it on those videos we've made, but on the day-to-day footage of our real lives. You are serving the Lord Christ. So that's the call, isn't it? Submit and love each other in marriage. You're serving the Lord Christ. As you obey your parents and work not to provoke your children, you're serving the Lord Christ. As you undertake these biblical instructions... I want you to watch the graphs on every scale in your life. Take an upward trend. You see, things get better when we follow the Lord Christ the way He set out. Just watch those graphs go up. Well, join me as we pray for the Lord's help as we do this. Father, what an overlay, what a calling to serve Christ as Lord Father, we admit that we we don't even know what to make of these instructions. Sometimes we struggle with them. And yet help us to see them as they were intended. Your word, speaking into our families and households and lives. Father, thank you that you have radically changed things in our lives. Would we be those who accept the challenges set out here and live not for ourselves, not for sheer enjoyment or fulfillment in our own terms, but to live as those who serve the one who gave up everything for us. We need your help, Father. We ask for it now in Jesus' name. Amen.